You're listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 480. My name is Dave. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we discuss the Prime Video Lord of the Rings prequel, The Rings of Power. And certainly this was, uh, for me, the best episode of the run thus far. And uh, this is our actually second attempt. Uh, We had a technical problem, and and you were saying that uh, I think you really love this one. Yeah, yeah, this is really good. Like I said, it was a... Truly a prime video. Um, it was it was just really really good, uh, you know, kind of all around, and you know, Fred liked yeah. it a lot too. So, you know, I mean, yeah, there and, we go. And, right, and I've liked every episode. I, you know, I've given most of them B pluses, not not quite, uh, you know, in the A range. Uh, you know, with with you given A minus, uh, I think Fred's given it some A minuses as well. I can't remember. He he gives this one a full on A. Well listen to his feedback later in the podcast but uh you know before we get into that obviously you and i are in a much better mood this week because <laughs> the ravens beat the patriots in foxborough beating the patriots anytime is a great thing in foxborough is even better it's just a little icing on the cake there sorry massachusetts been in the, fans if you're yep, out there but you know, yep it is what it had been in the in the snow that would have been even better right. but dude uh next week you got divided loyalties or not really not really i mean yeah i I tend to see the bills this is kind of the metaphor i've created in my mind it's kind of like the old girlfriend that you just kind of grew apart you know and you still you know think well of her and everything like that but you're just not into her and this other chick came along and she's like from your hometown and she was you know, and she's a little bit hotter too, yep. and then, uh, <laughs> and then you end up getting married to the, that hot chick, and so you like yeah, the old girlfriend. You're like, I still, you know, I still appreciate you. I still want you to do well, but uh, I don't right. feel for you like I do this girl. And if you weren't married, you well, we won't yeah. go there. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, a uh, little bit of news: Rings of Power season two is set to begin filming in. Auckland, New Zealand, and Edinburgh, Scotland in the UK on October 7th. So that's great news. We've certainly been led to believe we may get as many as five seasons. So I guess it's not a surprise, but it's great that they've already started filming. And I guess on the one hand, so many of these shows were unable to film for close to two years. So yeah. Maybe they're ramping up their process, which is... Uh, as long as uh, the Warner Brothers doesn't take over Amazon Prime, I'm sure oh my God. still be good to go. Yeah. Um, all right, what we're watching, I got a couple. I'll try to be quick with some of them. I finished The Man in the High Castle, and OMG, am I glad I got back to that. And, and in fact, I, I pulled the book out. I, I haven't read it in probably 30 years, so I'm, I'm really interested to see what changes they make i mean obviously they you know four seasons of man in the high castle they had to right create some new material that's that's clearly not in the book but i think they did an awesome job the ending i loved it i i read a few things here and there that a lot of people were a little bit upset with the vagueness of what happened and i'm not sure i really know exactly what's happening i mean i can see yeah yeah, what's happening, right. but it's an ambiguous ending for sure. But I, I really enjoyed that. So if you haven't seen Man in the High Castle, check it out. Uh, I also checked out Spanish actress Ara Garrido's new Prime Video series, A Private Affair, 
we know her from the Ministry of Time, which is a time travel show that yeah, I've, I spoke about probably a few years ago. Not sure even where it is. It might be on Netflix, but it might have left Netflix. But it's really great. The Ministry of Time. Yeah, I tried to find it a couple months ago, and I don't think it's on Netflix anymore. Yeah, but here she plays the daughter of the former police chief who investigates crimes, despite the fact that she doesn't wear a badge. Her partner in these investigations is her loyal butler, who's known her her entire life and is played by Jean Reno, who we, I mean, he's got a massive body of work, but that's, yeah, that seminal work, the professional just, I mean, I I don't know what else to say. It's just, you know, Um, but the show makes the mistake, I think, of being a bit too lighthearted, bordering on silly. Um, I mean, you've got two fine actors. Stop you for a second. So you're telling me. She's not a cop. She fights crime, and her butler helps her? Exactly. Okay. <laughs> now, so far, she doesn't have like a, a cave below the house in which she lives, but I've only seen the first episode. So, you know, uh, 1940s. Have a nice I, she shed in the back or something. There you go. All right. Now, lastly, I checked out the series premiere of the Quantum Leap re- uh, reboot. And for me, I saw quite a few episodes of the Scott Bakula, Dean Stockwell original. I really wasn't watching a whole lot of TV back then, but I venture to say I've probably seen 20, 30, maybe even more episodes of the original show and certainly liked it. But I am not one of those no Scott Bakula, no thanks kind of viewer. So at this point, he's... I don't know that he has anything to do with the show, but I thought the pilot was pretty good. I'm not sure it's enough to keep me coming back, but I'll probably check out the next one. Did you see it? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, And I was a huge, massive fan of the original show. So uh, I was really looking forward to the, and I'm not the Scott Bakula, not for me kind of camp. I was definitely interested to see how this show would be. It you know it's funny I was talking about this with Mike uh, the other day and it's like there there's so many parallels between like because I actually went back and watched the very first episode of the original Quantum Leap right after because I, I I watched the new one on Paramount and then as soon as the episode was done it was like hey you want to watch the first episode ever I'm like yeah <laughs> so um, and they're very very similar on almost all levels except for obviously there is this mystery that you know where he gets a text and he just leaves and like why why do you do that you know and so there's that mystery there i'm about 99 percent sure we're going to see scott bacula at some point in time here um literally uh, figuratively is the fact that he is sam beckett is in this universe and that the i think the original plan for this guy is to go back and find sam beckett right so you know uh, for sure we're gonna see scott Bakula. yeah um and and, you know it's a problem for reboots like this because the actor has aged and now obviously you have to write it into the storyline and and i think in this case that wouldn't be very difficult right so you know we'll see but uh yeah i i enjoyed it and like i said i'll probably check out the next one and you know i've got it set i believe to record it 
So. You, you know, it's funny, going back and watching that very first episode, like, so Quantum Leap was set, like, it, it, you know, it was like the late 80s, early 90s when the show was, but it was set in like the late 90s. Oh, right. And, okay. you know, they like way over guessed what the late <laughs> 90s was going to look like, you know. Uh, Dean Stockwell is driving this crazy car in the beginning. Because, like, you know, we don't really see a lot of the the world world in the original Quantum Leap, unlike the reboot where we see a lot of the the world that the, the characters left behind. Um, but, yeah, it was funny because I'm like, what is this? I'm like, oh, it's like – 10 years in the future. So of course, scar- cars are going to be like spacey and there's going to be a lot more flashing lights around and stuff. So yeah, it's funny. All right. So what are you watching other than quantum well, leap? Quantum leap. I had to give a shout out. It's not really what I was watching though. Like my Saturday, I had like the best day. There's every year in Baltimore here, we have this thing called the trifecta festival. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Well, I hadn't, although I saw your pictures on Facebook with you making the uh, the devil signs with a former student. So go ahead and post those on your teacher site. <laughs> oh, I got to go and see what Jody posted. All right. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was it was fun. It, it's, uh, there's, you know, this big Timonium Fairgrounds uh, that's a huge facility, big field. So they have a stage at each end of it. And they just had uh, tribute bands playing all day. It was really, really cool, man. Like, I got a special shout-out to Caligula Blush, the Smiths tribute band. They were awesome. Uh, Dead Letter Office, uh, some Buffalo guys doing the REM tribute was amazing. Uh, the Unforgettable Fire, this U2 tribute band out of New York City, they were freaking unbelievable, man. Like, it was it was great. Uh, and, um, you know, one of our, my friends from high school, and my she it was like the best, uh, me, you know, whatever, the best woman – at our wedding, uh, for my wife, it's like, and, uh, you know, it, it was, you know, we were like, she said, you know, we're, we're not as young as we used to be. And I'm like, well, you know, yesterday for a little bit, we, we forgot that, you know? <laughs> like, uh, so it's just really cool. Great, great time. Great music. So anyway. Yeah. I think you were rocking an ACDC t-shirt. Yeah. Maybe? Yeah. Oh, I got a go. lot of comments on that, man. Just walking around people like ACDC. I'm like, yeah. yeah. No, jo- Jody posts great pictures always. So. Yeah, I, I do gonna have to go back and check and see what she did put out there though. So, and then uh, oh, uh, Andor is the other thing. So getting back to uh, TV, actually, TV I'm watching. Um, so the the new uh, Star Wars series on Disney Plus is Andor, which follows uh, Cassian Andor, who is. Um, have you ever seen Rogue One yet? I did. Yes, okay. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Okay, so you know he's one of the main characters in Rogue One, and this is kind of like you know, apparently how he becomes a rebel and everything. And it's, you know, it's, they, they released the first three episodes and it's, I mean, it's definitely a lot of exposition and everything, but it's also kind of neat because it, well, you know, while it is a star Wars film, it's kind of gritty and a little dark and, you know, it's like he obviously is not in a great place at first and everything. And, so I don't know. So so far, so so I guess I would say it's it's pretty good so far. Um, though you, you know the the main action hasn't really kicked in yet. All right. Well, let's get to the Rings of Power episode five, season one, titled "Partings," written by Justin Doble, who co-wrote one hundred three Adar, directed by Wayne Chi Yip, who I think he's directed three of the first five. I can't find where I wrote it down. He definitely directed one hundred four. 
This one was released September 23rd, 2022. So, you know, they're doing a really good job of handling four storylines, you know, even though there's always one that is the principal story of that particular episode. And on the one hand, when you have an hour and six minute episode there, yeah. you, boy, they're, uh, they're pushing me to my uh, TV that's... limit. <laughs> hey, this was your idea though, man. I know, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I do, I do sympathize with you when I see that, but actually, I mean, these, these episodes go by so quickly though. There's just so much happening that it's not like, you know, you're looking at your watch at the end of it. Yeah. And, and obviously there are parallels. Uh, the main story, Numenor prepares for war. And I mean, again, I, I feel like we're, we're belaboring the point when you talk about the visuals of this series what really strikes me in this episode is not the beautiful scenery, the the amazing costumes, but rather the camera shots mm-hmm. that that we see in, in so many instances. But you know, right, right. Though as Fred says, the, the costumes are freaking amazing too. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but he, the, the the character that really strikes me, and and you've mentioned this on more than one occasion. It's Ilsidur, who we know is going to become this heroic character. But at this point, I just want to push him overboard <laughs> and, and be done with him. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's I a mean, far cry from the, the hero he will become. That's for sure. Right. And, you know, the conversation he has with his father really strikes at the heart of the matter is that he he feels and expects this privilege that apparently he's received his whole life but i i guess finally dad's had enough and no you're not joining the expedition so okay we we kind of get a sense i mean i i guess i didn't immediately expect that all right he'll get around that somehow because in the next breath we learn that numenor has its share of dissenters and i love that line grimy southlander and a warmongering elf yeah. <laughs> and i'm thinking well it's kind of true yeah <laughs> i mean yeah, yeah. It's, it's not wrong but yeah there's definitely a an isolationist streak running through some of the numenorians and like i said i mean I, I jokingly called it you know make numenor great again but you know we do see a lot of that kind of populist xenophobic thought here in in numenor and you know the guy, the the counselor, the advisor, whose name I still I should have Farazon. Yeah, I mean, there's just too many characters, David. <laughs> right, and they it's they're not Bill and Jim. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, he's f- fine with letting the queen go. You know, like he's like this could only help me out. Yeah, you know, it's just I actually can't remember what I was going with this when I first thought of it, but. We we see just stuff in in Numenor. We we see things that that are similar to you know what we see in our world today, and have probably been aspects of human existence from the very beginnings. Yeah, and, and you know we, we've talked about Campbell's hero's journey, and, and certainly Halbrand in this episode. I mean, it, it, it appears that he turns galadriel into the queen in return for a guild crest as a blacksmith i i unless i misunderstood you know what i mean we don't see it 
on camera, but that seems to be what happened. Well, he was, you know, I don't, I don't know if he did straight up like that, but he was the one like when she escaped from jail and, you know, the advisor was down there. He starts playing a sword. It's like, nah, don't. He's like, you know where she's going. Like, so he probably, you know, right. dropped and, a dime and- on her there. Right. And, and, you know, we've got five ships, 500 men that are going to help his people put a crown on his head. And he's like, yeah, find another head to crown and refusal of the call. Generally stage three of the hero's journey. And, uh, you know, we've got it right here. And and as we said at the beginning of the discussion for this series, I don't necessarily think it's completely required that a hero meets every step. Right. Well, yeah, and very and, few heroes, except for Gilgamesh, apparently. I was actually just <laughs> watched a podcast this about this the other day, and Gilgamesh hits them all, but, uh, you know, but most heroes do not. Right. And, I mean, uh, Whedon's Buffy the Vampire Slayer is, is certainly one of those series that, for me, was kind of my first you know, realization that a TV writer was actually doing that with his character. And, and she really does meet all of those steps along the way. But anyway, um, okay. So Gilgamesh and Buffy. Okay. (laughs) Now, um, you know, we, we see Kemen who, uh, I I guess he and uh, early or Arian have some sort of a little relationship going, but you know, we, we see, him trying to, you know, convince his father to or or, or Farazan to to you know stop the war, and it's, you know, I don't know, is he too idealistic or too dense to understand the ramifications of this war? I mean, is everyone overlooking the evil that is Sauron, or are they just refusing to admit that he still may be out there? Yeah, I, I think I tend to go with because Karen. Kieran, Kieran, yeah, he seems like a nice kid, right? Like we don't see like his dad's definitely sketchy and you know kind of has a lot of self interest here. We don't see, I don't see that in him. I think he, as you said, he is idealistic. I also, you know, feel like that. Which that second thing you said that just you know as we said before, it's just been so long for the humans. It's been generations since the war and since Sauron was a threat. And so they've forgotten and they think, you know, which is a, not a normal, that is a normal human reaction to say, you know, things are fine. Like there's no problems. Uh, there's no, I don't see Sauron around to you. So we're good. There's nothing to worry about. We don't need to go to war, you know, but you know, for Galadriel, it's, that that war that threat is much sooner and it's still something she can remember right and, and she is persuasive i mean the queen regent does not buy into her uh plan at, at the beginning but then we get that scene when she goes to tell her father who we've you know again we haven't seen a lot of him but he doesn't seem to be the man that he once was we, we know that he was deposed for being too close with the elves and and she goes to tell him i'm going to reconnect you know our our people with the elves don't go to middle earth darkness awaits 
So, you know, if that's not a bit uh, foreboding, yeah. but but again, that's... Yeah, but we you know, know that. Like, we see sure. the dark, you know, like it's going to be in the scene very soon after this. So, well, well, right, but does she take her father at his word given the man he seemingly has been and and you know not that she just ignores what he says but it doesn't deter her right from launching her ships but she's been you know, glad you convinced her of, of the necessity to do this thing, yeah so. sure sure now is soldier again not to be deterred from his father telling him he can't go all right well let's you know who's the next guy on the totem pole and his friend who was the one that got promoted after that spar with Galadriel, you know, when she's teaching them uh, to fight. And the friend says no. And I love this scene because the friend gives him really the best and only reason. I don't trust you to not abandon your post. And why? Now, granted, he eventually gives in the friend. Right. But, uh, but, it, but at this point, we're thinking like, OK, strike two. So what's he going to do to get aboard? And in my note, you know, we always talk about uh, trying to have a a clean podcast that everybody can listen to. You're not, you know, if you're listening to it on speakers, you're not going to be embarrassed if anybody, you know, so. Uh, but how effing stupid is Ilsider? Okay, so he stows away on a boat and he's discovered when he finds Cameron sabotaging it. Okay, fine. But we see what's happening here, as does he, that, you know, the oil has been spilled. He's got a torch. So, yeah, let's go and physically attack him because that's going to end well. And, you know, the lantern gets knocked over. The next thing you know, the ship explodes and, and, you know, the two swim to safety. But I'm like... No, you're exactly the kind of person I do not want on this expedition. Now, again, we know where it's going to end up, and we, right. you know, we know who get he gets aboard. But and there's something because he doesn't rat him out, right? Yeah. Like, and now, is that because uh, you know he knows his sister likes him? Yeah, or that you know it's like kind of like oh, I'm trying to stow away. You're trying right. to c- commit terrorism. Yeah, Let's well, just- I think. You both keep our mouths shut on this one, maybe. I don't yeah, know. I think being a stowaway is a, a little less. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, so whatever. So, you know, he, he buys some favor, I guess, there. But, uh, you know, I think this is the second time that, that we hear this line when Galadriel tells Halbrin as she's trying to, you know, still convince him to support the cause. Sometimes to find the light, we must first touch the darkness. And then, of course, he reveals why he's so reluctant to join this fight. And, and you know, as he talks about the fact that, you know, essentially he bent the knee to evil. Right. And, you know, when they showed that quick scene, I should have rewound it because I wasn't sure if that was like him showing himself bending the knee or was it – because the, the you know like the central figure, I think it seems like it was that old guy with the big head rag on or whatever, you know. Uh huh. Um, so I'm not sure if if you know he literally did that. You know, bent the knee to to um, oh Adar 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 right? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
or if they were just showing the other humans who had left the tower doing it. But either way, you know, like he certainly, you know, one suggests almost basically flat out says, you don't know how I survived. You don't know what I've done. And, you know, clearly there's stuff that he's done that if he sees the light of day that is going to make it tough for him to be a, an effective ruler. Well, yes. And, and and he's got now the chance. So we understand that he, he feels unworthy of doing anything that, that could be construed as basically good. And, and he, in fact, says, well, why do you keep fighting? And she's like, because I can't stop. Yeah. And that was great. Like, she and, just and, admits it straight. Like, I just I, yeah. I just can't stop. And then when she tells the entire story about her men mutinying against her and she has that self recognition and understanding that they couldn't distinguish her from the evil that she was fighting. Right. And it was really an eye opener for her, which given everything we've seen with her, I was a little surprised that she has that admission. Obviously it's a good thing and and should help her moving forward but will she relapse into her you know old self as, as they get closer to the battle so uh but yeah you know, you know, it's, it's we've said before this is quote unquote early days galadriel right like this is this character is so far from the one we see in lord of the rings just like isildur right he is so far removed from the man that he will become that part of it, the fascination with this is just seeing, like, just like, this is Galadriel. Like, man, this is so weird what she's like back then, you know? Yeah. And, and, and the end of this sequence, there are two just great scenes. Isildur is now going to be allowed to join the expedition. You know, we see him in uniform. Uh, you know, he thinks he's with the cavalry. And uh, yeah, he is. But uh, you're cleaning the stalls, young man. You're 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 not uh, you're not a soldier at this point, and it's like classic. Yeah, but, just the look of his face when he hands him like the the rake or whatever. Yeah, uh, he's yeah. like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then that final visual of Galadriel and Halbrand standing together as the ships leave the harbor is just yeah. just awesome, and, yeah. and just you know, we we know that both of them have changed and each has changed the other. So yeah. really looking forward to seeing how this storyline uh, plays yeah. out. But and well, you know, just really quickly, else? just because you get this really, this kind of like, again, Tolkien fought in world war one. You really get that kind of vibe as the army leaves. They're on their nice, shiny uniforms. You, you look at these ridiculous white, you know, with the helmets and the everything like, they just seem so impractical for actual fighting. You just get an idea that they don't know what they're getting into and that, that when they come back, it's not going to be with fanfare. It's not going to be with these bright, shiny uniforms and armor. Right. I, I mean, and, you know, for those of you out there listening to the podcast, if you've read The Red Badge of Courage by Stephen Crane, I, I mean, that's what we've got here, right? I mean, he... I mean, just marching into battle with absolutely no clue of the violence that lies ahead. So uh, Bronwyn is also preparing for war and maybe the most fascinating character study 
in this episode because, you know, we get that opening sequence where Arendir's at her side. She's making that impassioned plea to the group to stand and fight. And she's got them on her side until the old dude, nah, you know what? It's better to bend the knee and live. Yeah, that guy's basically the worst. Yeah, and and I was surprised and not surprised how many abandon her, leave the safety of the tower, and he, in fact, tries to convince Theo to come with them. I half expected him to go with, but but of course he doesn't. Um, right. Yeah. Just because Sauron put his mark on the kid doesn't mean he's going to go all bad. So. Yeah. yeah and then uh, you know we see Waldrig and those that followed him to Adar pledging allegiance. Not quite so simple as just pledging allegiance. No. Here, I want you to kill Rowan. Now yeah. we don't see whether he does or not. Right. I, I mean, Rowan's not a character that. I mean, certainly I don't even remember you. You remember far more than I do about the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, but no, I, he was, I mean, he was just the kid who, you know, left Theo. Right. But so, I'm just in terms of the, yeah, I, I don't think he, I don't think he, right. Right. So it won't surprise me if Waldrig kills him, but you know, we'll see. And then we're back at the watchtower. And of course, Bronwyn is completely discouraged. I mean, emotionally, this has really negatively impacted her. And Arinder tries to remind her, well, half left, but half stayed. Right. So you, you, you've you got to take the ones that have put their trust in you and, you know, move forward. And, and Theo's the, kind of the same way. Were you surprised that Theo reveals the hilt? Um, you know what? I was, I have to admit. I, yeah, I was. Um, it makes sense. And also I'm kind of glad that they're dialing back on Theo instead of making him be, cause like, I thought he was just, I mean, not that he was horrible. I mean, he disobeyed his mother to go get food for everybody. Right. So it's not yeah. like you really knock him down for that. But, um, you know, the fact that he was able to wield Sauron's sword, uh, that was that's not great, you know. No, um, yeah, right. Like you said, it's it's not like he climbed out the window to go to a party. Exactly, exactly, right. And 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 Sauron, uh, you know, hides in the shadows, right? He's, he's not, like again, like how many people right now do you think could possibly be Sauron? Right, because we know Sauron is a shapeshifter. Right, you know. So, um, but the fact that he gave up the. Um, the hilt and showed it to, to Arendir is pretty big in him taking the step to trusting him, first of all. Right. And, and then it leads to Arendir clearing away that brush to reveal what looks to be either a wall painting or a, you know, base relief sculpture that seems to depict the sword, right? With the hilt. Yeah. Like um, in, in the purse on the ground, right? Right. Um, and, and we learned that the Watchtower was built by the humans that followed Morgoth. Did Bronwyn really not understand that the orcs know her son has what it takes to activate the sword? I guess she doesn't. How would she know? Right. Because she didn't but know Aaron, about the sword. Right. So Arinder fills her in. So is her decision to 
give up the fight before it even starts, really all about saving her son? Or is it just that she feels it's a battle that can't be won? Well, I think it's, I, I think it's the battle. She realizes it's a battle that has to be fought, win or lose, right? Yeah. Like, it's that this is the, the right thing to do. And yeah. and those are always the, the, the characters in Tolkien that, that we admire the most. Like, the, the reluctant heroes like Halbrand, like, you know, Aragorn, you know, all these people who have things thrust upon them, you know, like have responsibility thrust upon them that they don't really necessarily want, but they do it because this is the right thing to do. Yeah. And, and, you know, we've talked about the parallels to contemporary politics, certainly in America and throughout a a lot of the world as well. And, And sometimes it's just literally frightening. You know, she says that we're destined for the darkness. Perhaps it's who we are. And, you know, here in the States, we, we keep thinking like, no, people are going to wake up. Well, you know what? Maybe not. Maybe that's who you are. Some of you know who I'm talking about. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> well, well um, right. And, and that's obviously a, a basic concern of how the people of the Southlands supported uh, Morgoth. That there is a concern there that, you know, we're just, you know, bad. <laughs> like, yeah. just, like human beings are just terrible and uh, we were going to do the wrong thing like you know 100 percent of the time now nori and her family continue the migration and and i guess they're completely separated from the group yeah, i mean we man, knew- they weren't they weren't kidding when they said they, that they're not going to wait up for you they just rolled off on them right which you know given that they've got the stranger and his physical strength and we do see him pushing the cart i guess i thought he would be stronger than he actually is and you know his inclusion in the in the family group would help them keep up but they don't seem all that concerned which is obviously problematic but but i love the fact that as he is learning about himself and his place within this family his concern is that he's a peril because he killed the fireflies right <laughs> and it takes nori no 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 you're good that was that not your fault yeah, that, that was that was a really nice uh, scene to open it up between uh, the stranger and Nori, and you know his his language is coming along and everything. But yeah, like that, she she you know he doesn't really even know what you know he, he's just trying to wrap his head around this whole thing of of what life is. He's almost like a baby. He's not a baby, but he's almost like a baby. You know, he just sure. has to learn everything for the first time, and it's uh, pretty. Pretty wild to see that. I, I love the, the scenes you're talking about because you said they're not seemingly not that concerned. Uh, we see scenes, and I've, you know, I've said it before that this is the, what I really like seeing them, just this kind of enjoyment of life, especially for the Harfoots where there are so many perils out there. You know, Nori lists one after another when she's talked to the stranger. There's so many things that can kill a Harfoot. So they, you know, it seems like they really, really live in the moment you know and enjoy the moments that they have where they're alive uh, and i thought that was just kind of a, a nice montage that they had there yeah now you know we see him the stranger that is sitting on that rock and there's like a near full moon above and i'm trying to f- figure out whether or not i'm supposed to draw something from that visual 
and I'm thinking, all right, is he the man in the moon? Whatever that is. Um, sounds like a Cat Stevens song. It's actually an um, REM song. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> um, so, I, I, you know, I don't know. We do see high elves, I, I think that's who they are, examining, I think that was the stranger's fire pit yes. crater from when he hit the ground. So right. we don't see anything more than, you know, about 30 seconds. Right. So Just another mysterious stranger entering the picture. Right. Now, you know, you, you talked about them living in the moment and, and not having a care in the world and all that. And of course we know, okay, well, something bad has to happen. Maybe nobody's going to get killed, but you know, the, the three giant wolves were, were pretty imposing until the stranger just takes over, yeah. you know, pounds the earth. I mean, that was something like out of uh, Marvel universe. Right. Right. Well, yeah. I, I think again, the um, kind of the stranger is Gandalf because uh, he did that on the, uh, in the minds of Moria, I believe it was, he did one of those moves where he hit his staff on the ground and kind of blasted back all the orcs that were chasing him. So, right. And, and the fact that he's now got to soak his seemingly injured hand, maybe, the, you know, he, he's not necessarily in shape yet to wield that power. Is his hair turning white now? Um, I don't that know. final scene, it, it looked like, uh, that maybe that was the case, oh, but okay. uh, I didn't know. So I'll, I'll, we'll look next time. Which, which would obviously play into your theory that he's Gandalf, which I think most of us agree is probably true. And then last story, the elven plot to take the ore. I mean, I guess that's what it is, right? Yeah, right. The elves trying to, to get the mithril. Because as Elrond says that they, uh, they, they, if they don't, get i i didn't quite make this and i i missed my i i just assumed i missed something but i didn't understand where it went from we need the mithril or we're gonna die well you know he gets into that that the uh, explanation about our light is fading like well okay is that like a metaphor for your you're losing power and and this is such a powerful or that it'll help you to defend yourself, uh, increase your whatever. But then he, he, the or will prevent their immortal souls from perishing. Now, again, is that just another metaphor right. for them losing their power? Or is there some sort of a literal explanation that, I mean, w- what are you going to do? Add the or to your uh, morning coffee and that's going to, Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. But I, I think more to the point, it's that, deception that the king has played on Elrond that that really strikes I guess at the heart of this situation and you know choose your allegiance Elrond are you you know are you aligned with the you know the high elves your people or the dwarves and you know on the one hand you have to admire that Elrond won't tell the king but you know what I mean his non-answer is an answer Right. Right. Have they discovered it? I gave my word. All he had to do was say, no, they haven't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he's got, the king's got well, his answer. Uh, really. Yeah. Elrond, you know, knows how to, to dodge around the question too. You know, like he's able yeah. to kind of play both sides there and give, as you said, he basically says, yes, they, they have it, but he doesn't break his oath either. Right. And, and then he eventually Again, one of the more honorable characters. I mean, there are a lot of honorable characters, obviously, but Elrond is kind of at the top of my list because 
I mean, you might argue, well, he has to go and tell Duran what he knows. Well, no, he doesn't have to. He chooses to. Right. Yeah. And their relationship, even though it was strained there for a while, is so strong that Duran says, well, I'll talk to my dad. You're not yeah. going to promise anything, but. Well, that we'll was great how he made him keep repeating how the fate of the elves was in his hands. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like that yeah. was just a really, really well done scene. And again, just like, it's like those little moments like that that I just love because what a good Lord of the Rings show will do is not lose sight of his basic. I mean, I know we're elves and dwarves, but basic humanity here, you know? Yeah, yeah sure. Sure. So uh, uh, what else about any of the four stories? You know, I just, it's the, the um, Aarian kind of anti-war aspect of it. I'm interested to see, because obviously as her brother marches out, they show a shot of her looking very concerned. So I don't think, you know, we've seen, I think, I don't think they're just going to ignore Numenor now that the army is, is moving out. Right. And I mentioned her character last time that, that I hope she plays more of a prominent role. So perhaps she will, you know, uh, in Numenor as, as the, uh, soldiers have, have sailed away. Oh, just the, uh, yeah, the, the, you know, the people in white that are, are, you know, obviously trying to find the stranger. I mean, that's another, you know, we, we got basically zero information about them. Um, the, the person that was actually went down into the pit looked like not happy, um, so, yeah, but we don't know what, you know, as you said, like they, it seemed, they look like, I thought as well, they look like high elves, um, but who knows, right? Yeah. I think that might be, uh, all I have maybe. All right. Well, let's move ahead to listener feedback and. Ben Mason checked in via the Facebook group and, you know, Ben, we're recording Monday morning because Wayne has off school today for Rosh Hashanah. And I just looked at Facebook as I was getting ready to go up to record with Wayne. So I noticed, you know, he, anyway, he posted a few things, but I'm, I'm just going to deal with the first one. Okay. And he says, Wayne, I think you're right that the Comet guy is Gandalf, but I'm not sure how I feel about how unmcclellan the old guy seems where's the throaty chuckling and mirthful twinkling in his eyes it'll just be difficult to imagine anybody else as gandalf but what do you make of the comments in the episode of the falling star being a sign of sauron's return it seems unlikely that he's sauron i think theo is more likely but it seems to odd to connect the two unless Gandalf is the theological opposite of Sauron. I'm pretty sure Lord of the Rings established that he's basically the good team version of a Balrog in their hierarchy, so I don't think that's it. There was also a comment from Elrond about his father not sailing west but pulling a star across the skies or something. The guy didn't look elvish, but I thought it was an oddly coincidental comment. Now, on the show, I'm a little disappointed overall. I love Galadriel's warrior princess vibe, but most of the characters feel overacted. While the cinematography and set designs are gorgeous, I feel the actors' costumes are just a little too clean and freshly ironed. It doesn't feel real to me. It just feels Disney real. 
Not sure if it's the acting or the writing, but there's just something about it that fails to pull me in. I'm holding out hope, however, and will continue the show for this foreseeable future. Apparently, I've made a grave mistake by dropping Westworld early in the third season when it failed to grab me. Wayne had convinced me I should give it another go for the sake of season four. Nice. I'm glad to hear that, Ben. You'll like it. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Westworld, if you haven't seen Man in the High Castle, uh, uh, again. But, you know, the thing about the acting and the Disney reel, the show's creators and showrunner, I mean, they've mentioned that they want this to be a family show, which I think, for me, at least means that you know, you might have a, a 9, 10, 11-year-old that, that you're going to allow to watch it with you, you know, maybe in the room, because it will get scary at times. But I think maybe the acting is, you know, you know attributed to that. I mean, I, I don't know how else to explain it. I know what you're talking about, Ben, but I don't think it's going to get any different in the, the last three episodes. Anyway, I guess that's uh, anything. Well, you yeah, just, like I mean, he. I was just, I was just kind of reading down like about the the costuming being like a little too clean, a little too nice, and that's actually a great point. And I think, especially with Numenor, like I said earlier, I think we're going to see that sharp contrast when they have to start fighting um, in Middle Earth. Like all those clean, shiny uniforms and, and armor is going to get. Uh, bloodied up pretty good i think and so i don't know but but yeah yeah, that's that's a great point though yeah and i mean on the one hand the the soldiers sailing out to battle i i think we see that even in real life or i mean maybe not anymore but but the soldiers sail sailing out or or marching out in ceremonial uniform and then you know once they're out of i guess visual they change into their battle gear but whatever all right. Anyway, Ben, uh, thank you. And, and uh, you know, check out the Facebook group, you guys, if you haven't already. Oh, uh, was just, just one more thing about that. Yeah, like, sure. We are, I, I think we kind of mentioned before, we're, we're totally on Sauron watch now, right? And oh, as absolutely. you said, he's a shapeshifter. It could literally be anyone. I think every episode, I'm like, well, I think maybe this guy's Sauron. You know, I think the, actually the one person that got ruled out is uh, Adar. Because when the guy says, well, you're Sauron, right? And he like, gets really pissed about that so i think he's not for sure um, but literally could be anyone else in the show yeah except no, for galadriel I, well and and i you know i i don't think it could be theo i mean i right. I, I think we can be fairly certain that bronwyn understands she gave birth to him anyway we'll leave it there um all right well let's check what fred's got for us this week and we'll be right back Hello Dave and Wayne and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, Season 1, Episode 5. What a great episode. All four storylines are going very well. And even the Hobbit storyline gets more interesting now because it's less about the Hobbits and more about the Stranger, which makes that story a little more compelling to me. Absolute greatest moment of this episode is Caladriel boarding the Numorian ship in her armor. We have seen this picture actually, it's used for publicity, but if, when you see it happening, it's really so impressive. And as I said in the last podcast, clothing is really, really very 
impressive and stunning. Perhaps I even find it more getting to me than the mines of Moria or when those ships arrived or now are departing from Numenor Harbor. It's also how they how they filmed it and how they took the time for this scene. And you see all the soldiers and cadets, etc., indeed being impressed as we are. Also great is the training that Galadriel gives on that marketplace to the soldiers. Also very, very nicely filmed and she made an impression by now. Also the story between her and Halbrand is going, well... In a good direction, I think. Of course, these Numorians, Numenorians don't know what they are awaiting. But if you see all these orcs and you see just three ships with soldiers, that's not going to do it. They should have sent a whole armada. At the moment, actually, all the stories are developing in a good direction in the sense of Galadriel's relationship with the Queen, the Regent Queen and Halbrand. Uh, Isildur's story is okay now because he can go as he wanted. Valendir and Ontamo are Isildur's two friends and I think they resolved their thing, making jokes at the end. I did read some stuff and I think their friendship will be very well because if you read on the Lord of the Rings wiki, one of the future sons of Isildur will be Falandil, so he will name one of his children after his friend. The story between Elrond and Durin went well. He kept his word and was honest to Durin. Very, very important, very nicely to see that. The one story that goes more badly is, of course, the story of Bronwyn and Arondir. Bronwyn gives up, so it looks she doesn't see any possibilities anymore. What is a bit of a nitpick, if you see her walking around with her naked shoulders, it's such a contrast to all the other people there at the watchtower. They are all older, uh, apart from some kids, uh, dirty, covered with clothes, etc. And she is actually the only, well, of course, that has a purpose in the story, probably, but uh, sticking out by uh, this way. But I find it a bit strange. No other woman is walking around like that. And it's not that she had a, well, now she has, but previously an important role in the town in the sense of being high up or the mayor or whatever. Also nice in the sense of developing storylines is that this hilt of the Sauron sword is revealed and it's not only in Tio's, let's say, secret possession. It undoubtedly will play an important role. I did not understand what the meaning is of that sword kind of wood structure in the tree. Now we know that the guy that opposes Bronwyn is called Waldrek. He really goes for Adar, although he thinks it's Sauron. So that is the confusion we have as well. Who is Sauron? Is that Adar? He doesn't react like that towards Waldrek. Or is it that stranger? Or haven't we seen him at all? I really wonder if that Waldrak is killing that boy called Rowan. Because we don't really see it happening. 
Last topic I want to discuss is the interaction between Kiemen and his father, Farazon, who is the advisor of the regent queen. Nice explosion he caused, by the way. And then they went with three ships instead of four. I would really wonder if Numenor doesn't have more ships as a island nation. Well, probably they have more ships, but to spend on this mission, I mean. So that Kiemen is very opposed to his father's policy. He blows up the ship and Isildur knows. So what will this mean for their future relationship? Or is that Kiemen not going on the ships at all and stays in Numador? So the interaction ends there more or less. Does Isildur protect him more or less because he is a friend of his sister's? Or is just the reason because he was a stowaway himself, so they have to protect each other's secrets. Well, um, stowaway is one, but blowing a ship up is another thing. Okay, that will be all. Greetings, Fred from the Netherlands. Fred gives it a solid A. I'm going to go ahead and go on record right now. I'm going A- minus on this one. Okay. Uh, well, I, I, on this, i got to be like a grade up pretty soon. I'm going to give it an A, too. Yeah, yeah. And... It was really good episode. Fred mentions the sword training scene. Yeah, I mean, that was maybe my favorite scene in the entire series thus far. It was just great. I mean, it was filmed wonderfully. I mean, it. I don't even know what else to say. And then at the very end, she looks over at her shoulder. It's like, okay, he probably didn't actually cut her, but I guess he cut her uniform. Yeah. And that was enough. Right, right. Well, and it's it's kind of funny because you know, we just saw in um, you know if you watch House of the Dragon last night, we had similar uh, sword training episode except with wooden swords. But that was uh, that was awesome. <laughs> it was like, and she's like, yeah, yeah. Well, let's see. I've been fighting for a couple hundred years, and uh, you're just starting now. So yeah, I think I probably know a little bit more about this than you do. Great, fabulous choreography on that. Yep. Now, Fred also mentions the opposition in Numenor, um, and, and I, I guess on the one hand, I think they're lucky to get as many ships as they've actually gotten. You know, even though we know they should be—you don't want to say devoting their entire navy to this fight because you don't want to leave yourself unprotected. Yeah, but from whom? Well, yeah, okay, good point. And and then one thing that I mean. Look, I mean, it's hard to notice. And did I mention that that the actress, I can't find her name now, that, that plays Braun when she was a, a major character in Counterpart, which I know you haven't seen. He mentions the fact that she's always got bare shoulders when everybody else is fully dressed. Um, and thinking like, all right, you're right. Now, I'm not going to, you know, argue with that decision. <laughs> On, okay. on the uh, part of the director, but but it, you know when you think about it, yeah, that is kind of odd, isn't she cold? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean we we yeah. don't know what the weather's like there, but anyway, but um, anything else from Fred's feedback? Yeah, I just you know totally agree about you know that the leaving Numenor was awesome. That's such a great uh, camera work and the costumes, and everything. And- All right, Ben, Fred, thank you. Uh, so. You and Fred give it an A. I give it an A minus. We've got three episodes to go. Jeez, it, it seems like we just started. You know? I know, I know. It's with these, so these shorter episodes, you know, with these the eight ten episode runs that we have, like you, you just you start to get into it a little bit, and it's almost done. 
Yeah, now hopefully we won't have to wait a full year for season two, but you know, since they're going to start filming in October and you know, so much of it is CGI anyway. Right. You got uh, a lot of post production. Right. And and you like to think a lot of it's already created and you know, they're going to go back to, you know, some yeah, of the same good point. uh scenes, but uh All right, well, we will leave it there. That'll do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. Thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about the Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power. Anything else going on in your genre world, check out the Facebook group if you haven't already. Sci-Fi TV Rewatch at gmail.com is the way you can reach us. We'll be back next week to talk about episode six of the Rings of Power, but until then. All right, Dave, enough with the quail sauce. Give me the meat and give it to me raw.